Hello and welcome to Cinedrunk, the podcast where we are drunk on cinema and alcohol. Brought to you by Cinemunch.com. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, joined as always by Nathan. Hello. And Elizabeth. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. So we are doing the movie that we've all been eagerly anticipating, Gone Girl. Mm -hmm. Um, And the three of us have all read the book now, too. And Mm -hmm. um, Matt and Nathan read it soon before the release of the movie. I had read it a couple years ago when it came out, and then I just finished rereading it. So the book was fresh in our mind. Um, And just a forewarning... It's really hard to talk about this movie without talking about spoilers. Yeah. So, for once, I'll get to say spoiler alert, and it will actually be a spoiler, a spoiler alert. Which is great. And the whole podcast um, But the whole podcast alert. is very spoilery. So, if you haven't seen it, go see it first. I would recommend it. Yeah. Read the book. You'll probably get more it. out of the podcast anyway. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, but, Nathan, why don't you talk about what we're, what we're sipping on? Yeah. We are sipping on... Um, None other than absinthe, um, because it fit, <laughs> it fits this movie to a T. Um, Tell us why. Oh, I would love to. It'd be my honor. Um, so absinthe is uh, well. Pardon my French. It gets you fucked up. Mm. Sure does. And uh, I mean, not really. I mean, all actually. Everyone thinks you have these hallucinations, and I mean, not everyone, but growing up, that's what I thought. Actually, absinthe is not so different from really any alcohol in terms of how it affects your brain. So there's that. But it is fun to drink, and it's very high in alcohol content. It's definitely not child friendly, so the movie is not child friendly. What? One could make that argument about most alcohol. Well, I don't know. You can start them young on beer kind of thing. <laughs> oh, but can you? <laughs> it's a little safer. Um, this is not. Uh, it <laughs> it um, is actually a spirit, um, not a liqueur, which a lot of people think that it is, which was a surprise to me, actually. Hmm. Um, it's a spirit derived from um, anise green anise and sweet fennel so it's like double trouble with the licorice flavor Mm. and you typically add sugar to it um in you you dilute it with water and you add sugar so that kind of sweetens it up makes it more liqueur like um makes it a little bit less uh dangerous but it's it's perfect for the movie um for many reasons um, general discomfort that it causes <laughs> while you Which drink it. Which it does. Um, because, Especially if you don't like licorice flavor. Yeah, because it's, well, and it's not like good licorice, like actually eating fennel or... Oh, which is yeah, not a good flavor. I mean, or like tarragon No one can or see something. The, the look of disgust Matt has on his face right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just this like one, permanent... There's something about the mix of pucker. the... Yeah, Weird. the licorice and then um, the the water that's like supposed to be cold, but I I mean it's cold out of the faucet, so it ends up being like lukewarm. So I guess that's partly our fault. Um, yeah, so that's uh, <laughs> absent. That's absent. Also, the green fairy. And and also um, one of the main reasons I thought of this first was the specific brand of absinthe that we're drinking is the one that I've seen most often in stores, but it has kind of a take on Vincent Van Gogh's um, self-portrait, but he has like three faces. And um, I'm assuming because he's drinking absinthe. But that really um, plays into the plot of Gone Girl, where the protagonist, I guess... The main female character. Title role. The title role. The gone girl. She has gone. at least three faces. <laughs> we are about to be gone um, girl. Yeah. Actually. So drinks. that, yeah. So if that wasn't the most engaging discussion <laughs> of, of absinthe you've ever heard. Probably the only discussion of absinthe. Send me a postcard with your complaints. In summary. <laughs> in summary. Absinthe is crazy. Gone Girl is crazy. Yeah. So, the I guess the basic plot as a setup 
um, is that our our main male character, Nick Dune. Done. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gone, girl. I don't know what I'm talking about. You are gone. Um, Nick Dunn. He uh, leaves his house early on the morning of his fifth anniversary and goes to the bar he co-owns in a Missouri town with his sister, um, only to be called back to his house to discover his wife missing and what looks like a scene of a crime. A smashed coffee table, some overturned uh, living room furniture. Um, looks suspicious. The front door is left wide open. Yeah, looks suspicious. Yep. Um, and that sort of sets into a sets events in motion where the police are investigating Nick as his wife has disappeared. But then the structure of both the book and the film is we're getting flashbacks of when Nick and Amy, that is his wife, met from Amy's point of view in a journal she's been writing. And they show this on screen, her writing in a diary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the basic setup. So you're getting a her story for sort of what led up to the um, disappearance and then his of what's happening in the days immediately following the disappearance. Mm-hmm. And you're also getting introduced to her as a character through that because in the pr- sort of present timeline, she's disappeared, obviously. Right. right. So... And you've got Ben Affleck as Nick Dunn, the main character. You've got Rosamund Pike as Amy, the gone girl. Um, it's directed by David Fincher, who you would know from Seven, Fight Club. Social Network. Social Network. Curious Case of Benjamin Button, unfortunately. Ooh. Zodiac. Uh, Zodiac, sure. He's got lots of good things. The Game. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Madonna music videos. <laughs> <laughs> He's directed some kick-ass music videos. We're just reading from IMDb right now. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> um, and also the, the author of the book, who I would say is pronounced Gillian Flynn, but apparently it's Gillian Flynn. Well, according to Ben Affleck, but who knows? He might have been drunk and or gambling. Since or gone. Or gone. <laughs> Girl. Um, she adapted her own novel into the screenplay, which I think is awesome. And it really shows. It does. You know, because even even when the author of the novel has input on the person doing the screenplay, a lot of times they lose. But, like, she obviously knew what was important to her in the source material, and it really translated well. It like, really this did. This is one of the best, I think, film, or, or book-to-film transitions I've seen. Yeah. I mean, I haven't read a lot of books <laughs> in general <laughs> but you know truth like read read the book and see the movie I don't I don't always I, and I do that a lot do that but um no she and a lot of it was quite changed even just in like simple dialogue that didn't necessarily need to be changed right. for the film but it still absolutely works and gets the the same tone or the same voice that she had as a character. narrator it's or it, novelist yeah well yeah. and it's like it's something believable that that character would say or do right right and that's what usually kind well, of flies I, out the window in an adaptation yeah and i feel like a lot of the things that were changed actually is because there's she used to be a writer um for entertainment weekly mm-hmm. which is of course very pop culture and in her books it's clear that she's very knowledgeable about pop culture like it it plays into it a lot and so a lot of the things that were changed felt like just an update in things that would resonate more now in 2014 versus when the book was published in 2011 or 12. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very, it was a hard task for whoever was going to adapt it. It's a a difficult book to film. Yeah. Really. But kudos to her. Especially because the, the book, just in case you haven't read it, and have only seen the movie, flips back and forth between, like, one chapter being Nick's perspective, and you hear his interior life and monologuing, and then the next being Amy and her interior life and monologuing. And it's always really hard then when you have to translate that to screen, and for the most part you can't hear their interior dialogue. So, Um, yeah. So I think from here on out it's probably going to be spoilery. Just total spoilers from here on out. Yeah. Well, I would it turns say, out Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. <laughs> so. Well, I would say on top of the the translation, you know, the screenplay being really well done, um, I was surprised. 
I wasn't surprised because the book is very funny in a very dark way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was glad that the movie really found moments of humor that weren't even a in the lot. book. Especially the interplay between the two detectives, yep. Kim Dickens and... Um, I'm so dry. It's, so yeah. dry. Really great. Um, and the other thing is this movie was so well cast. I can't it really, actually, really was. I can't actually... I mean, honestly, I think the weakest performance was Van Affleck. But he was perfect for the part. Perfect. But the like character itself casting. is kind of spineless and... Yeah. Yeah. Irritating. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Well, I would say maybe Neil Patrick Harris was another weak one. Mm-hmm. But not bad, just right. compared to everyone else. Yeah, it was hard because that's not like necessarily one of the most fleshed out characters in the book or the film. You right. know, he's just sort of not really a device, but he kind of needs to be. Like he shows up when he needs yeah. to. And But I, I still think he was well cast in his brief screen time. You know, you get all of his motivations and yes. background and history between the characters. He also comes across just as very moneyed. Yeah. Out and being like, yeah. oh, old chap. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, exactly. He doesn't actually have to wear the tennis sweater over his shoulders. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. We know, but we know. That we know he, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, a stand-up, obviously, I think, is Rosamund Pike, who... Love her. I mean, she was great and sort of enigmatic in the first part when you're just hearing the Amy Diaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little bit disappointed only in that, and I understood why they had to do it, but her diary entries were so truncated, and for the first third of the movie, we spent most of the time with Ben Affleck, and every once in a while we would have sort of a condensed flashback of flashback, her diary. Yeah. In a way that in the book it feels much more equal, like you're spending yeah. equal time. And I was a little bit afraid, actually, that then it was going to just turn into a story about this man. And she was just going to be sort of a rotating plot device for him. Mm-hmm. And then it went into the amazing, the best day of my life was the day I died. So, spoiler alert, she fakes her own <laughs> death abduction and is setting up her husband to be framed for it and leaves and that whole like montage of her voiceover explaining how she set him up and all the preparations she did with all the different scenes of it intercut with her like it was funny she was so good yeah mm-hmm. it was great that was a great moment especially like just you could sense in the theater the sort of hushed like people that didn't know that that was coming be like wait what what yeah and all of a sudden it was like she sprang to life in a way that the previous incarnation we'd seen on film Mm -hmm. felt very enigmatic and not particularly like a real human being yeah and then all of a sudden it was like oh no this is what this actress is doing and she was charismatic and funny i mean those those little moments like (laughs) when she would watch the news report Oh, yeah. Everything she did was so great when she comes out and does the little, like, bell kick. Oh, yeah. They're ripping her husband to shreds on TV. And then also then those moments then, once we know that she's duplicitous and she runs in, you know, when she's staying with Desi and all that, and she's being so manipulative. That's so good. It's so genius. But that's really the, the only, like, that, you know, she is allowed to shine then because you know... She can overplay, not overplay, but she can really play the subtext or like the right. actual motivations rather than being like, okay, I have to hide this not only from the other characters, but from the audience. But it's also kind of true of Ben Affleck in that at the beginning, there has to be a moment of lingering doubt in his stuff where you have to think maybe he did kill his wife. I, uh, I wish but I, I could have seen this it. film with fresh eyes, not having read the book, and I would almost love if one of us hadn't or if we had someone else on the podcast that hadn't seen it just to just to get a fresh perspective on the story because I feel like it's the whole time it was super weighted in his defense even by the end and whereas in the book it's not as much and partially because that's because you're reading and you're interpreting your own way you're not getting a visual interpretation that's already sort of predetermined for you right but um just like Rosamund Pike's diary entries at the beginning just heard part partially I, I was um I I was I had some questions about whether or not it was her because she's British the actress mm-hmm. Rosamund Pike 
I didn't know if it was just her American accent is a little flatter, or which I, I think it kind of is. Yeah. She doesn't have like the greatest um, intonations when she's using not her original accent, but I, I did. Her, they sounded kind of sinister. Her diary entries, as if they were fake, which they they are. Yeah. They are to a degree, yeah. But I I thought it was almost overplaying it, especially. It's hard because in the books you're getting. Anytime it's Nick's perspective, it's solely his perspective, and in the film, just to you know, move the story along, you can't just have his perspective. Nice. Like you're getting some interplay between the detectives, you know, they cut out some characters or scenes that would have happened with other characters just to move the story along. Right. And so because you're getting that, and for other reasons, and how they play up just in the script, the Ben Affleck character, I felt like I was on his side the whole time. That's true a little bit. See, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was, and part of that is probably bringing in the baggage I had from the novel. Mm -hmm. um, and the other part is kind of Ben Affleck. Like, I find him so douchebaggy and sort of punchable in a way that really worked for the part. And he also, to me, felt flat. As a little a, bit. I was a little disappointed. Yeah, he felt... But it, it, I, I, I feel like it works for the character. I'm not actually going to give him credit and say that it was a choice. <laughs> I think, Just good casting. I think his own limitations as an actor worked in favor for this character. And then he was balanced out so beautifully by the fact that most of his scenes were with either Carrie Coon, Rosamund Pike, or Kim Dickens, who were all spectacular. Yeah. Hubby, I'm curious to hear that would be Nathan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to hear your not perspective because you, you just, not my husband, no, because um, you just read it and your immediate, what you said after we saw it was, um, you wish you hadn't read the book so close to having seen the film. Yeah, I mean, you end up seeing every line as, you know, whether it came from directly from the book or yeah. whether it was newly created in the screenplay, and it's just kind of distracting while watching. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was well done. I, I don't have too many qualms about the screenplay. I think the only issues I would take with the screenplay would be the same issues I would take with the novel. So my main issues, I mean, I really enjoyed this movie, but there's something about the book and the movie tonally that doesn't work um, as a whole piece. So by the end, mm -hmm you get to this point where it's like, oh, this is maybe supposed to be a satire. I mean, I was talking about it with Matt. Mm -hmm. You were describing it as almost a satire of marriage or relationships. or And, and the humor that's injected kind of suggests that a little bit. And also the, end, like the way that they kind of end up together in a way that like this, this, these people would never end up together so it's not meant to be like hyper realistic obviously um but then really like earlier the, the first half of the movie is very kind of dark and more detective mystery focused and there's just some sort of disconnect and incoherence there that i can't quite put my finger on but it just doesn't work and it leaves me almost like feeling disgusted <laughs> i feel like that's the brilliance of it though. that that was what but i really that, responded to and that was what i really liked is that you know it starts off the first half is this kind of pulpy like murder mystery that like you've read a thousand iterations of what this right. is like oh did who did it what what's the mystery and the twist you think that will come is that Oh, it wasn't the husband, it was so-and-so. I remember thinking the twist was going to be that it was his father. Yeah, yeah they were kind of setting that up in the novel. They were novel. just like, he escaped, yeah. and he yeah. came, that other, you know, her flashback of him showing up and being really aggressive towards her. And... Which I think, not in terms of that, but in terms of what you were saying, Nathan, um, that was maybe part of my issue with the film adaptation, with what I was saying in terms of when it's from Ben Affleck's 
or at least the you know the immediate aftermath um, of the disappearance because it's not necessarily just from his perspective. You don't learn as much about him and his inner life. And in the, the book, you do so much that by the time it reaches the middle and that big twist of that she's not actually dead, she framed him and she's just disappeared, um, you, you see what a flawed guy he is and you don't necessarily like him, even though the next half sort of pits you against Amy and more in his favor, that by the end you've seen both sides of them so well, and they're so, she's really, really great, um, Gillian Flynn, at writing both of them so differently as narrators, and they're super flawed, unreliable narrators, but she's so good at writing both of them distinctly, that by the end you have a true sense of who they are, and that they're both so flawed that you're like, well, fine, like, it's okay that they're together, they're like, belong together, because they're so fucked up, Yeah, and that's how I see it more as like a satire of relationships, and compromise, and marriage, and just to a really dark humor, absurd level, Right. and I didn't get that as much from the end of the film, and you could sense kind of once the film ended in the theater of some people being like, what, like, that's the end, which I kind of did have that reaction at the end of the book, but I think that was the right end for this story, and what she was telling. And that's why I feel like it does work tonally, especially too, because Gillian Flynn like knows the audience and knows kind of what you're expecting and keeps subverting that at each different point where you're like, okay, this is where it's going. No, oh, this is where it's going. Oh, no. So that it, by the end, I I can sense, I, I see her whole arc of the whole story. And that's why I think it's more about marriage than it ever is, you know, being murder mystery, then this, then this, then, oh, she's right. just, she's crazy. Right. Well, I was going to say that I think that if that's a good point is that with the way the framing of the movie works is we still hear the inside of of Amy's voice even once the twist has been revealed because she narrates yeah. the whole point, the whole part of her mm-hmm. plan to get her husband. And then because we, then we know that she's also more open about who her true self is. So we hear all of her like mutterings to the TV when like the yeah. really funny scene when... Andy, which is Nick, it turns out Nick has been having an affair for the last year and a half of their marriage with like a 22-year-old, and the 22-year-old comes out saying that they've been having an affair and does a press conference, and she's joking about her like looking like a school teacher. Yeah, a Mennonite. Yeah. A Mennonite, and like, so we get to see sort of the real Amy in a way that in the book we see the real Nick, and Nathan, you had said before we, before the movie started, that you felt sick to your stomach at the beginning of the book when he kept lying needlessly about right, little right. things. And we never really see that, with the exception of omitting the fact that he has a, a mistress. Mm-hmm. We don't get all these like little lies, like the reservation that he made for his anniversary, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like There are all these little lies that he doesn't need to do that stack up against him, and you're like, oh, why are you doing this? Right. And we don't get any of that. So I do see what you're saying, Matt, that the movie seems stacked in favor of Ben Affleck being mostly a decent guy, except for the fact that he cheated on his wife, who we think is a psycho. Right. And even by the end, it's so like when the, he makes yeah. the de- right, and so when he makes the decision, and they never really build the fact. You know, in the book, we get a lot more about how Nick feels his relationship to his own father, and then his mm. kind of desperate need to be a father. Yeah. And when he hears from their neighbor Noel that Amy's pregnant, supposedly pregnant. He gets really upset about it because he really wants kids, where she didn't, like... And the movie never really builds to that. And also, in the book, there's this brilliant part where she says to him, which is in the movie, where she says to him, what would your life be without me? Married to some boring, average, Midwestern girl, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But in the book, we get his interior monologue, which is so fucked up, which is that he's like, I would be bored. I would resent this woman for not challenging me in the way that Amy challenges me. And before they even get back, when he once he realizes, well, she's still missing, mm-hmm. but once he realizes that it's her framing him, yeah. and he starts going on the offensive to see how he can beat her, you see how excited he is right. and it, like, by the game. Yeah. And you realize, oh no, he's as messed up as she is. They're so excited by messing with each other psychologically that by the time you hit the end of the book, you're kind of like no they do deserve each other (laughs) terrible people and i wonder how much of that is just that 
it was so hard. You don't want to have so much voiceover in a film. Right. Like, I wonder how much of that was just yeah. that was hard to adapt. So just to right. get this general storyline across, you have to make changes. And how much might be Fincher, right? Like directing yeah. it that way. And that's maybe why I had some reservations about Affleck's performance is that you don't necessarily get as well-rounded a character as you get in the books. Right. Well, and that by the end, you don't. It doesn't seem as justified that that's what he's doing. I mean, it still makes sense plot-wise and what's going on and that she ends up being pregnant at the very end and yeah. so he sticks with her, but yeah. As far as plot points that pit you against a character, I mean, um, Amy has one huge one, which is where you transition from diary Amy to um, <laughs> dead Amy. <laughs> um, and it's like, holy shit, she's done all these things and it all comes at once and so it's this very big moment with both the reader and the film goer, it's yeah. a moment. And in the book, when Nick um, reveals, he kind of reveals to the reader that he's been having an affair. And it's a moment. It's a big right. sort of stop. This is the point where you start to hate me because I've been having an affair. It's like, it's it's an aside to the reader. It's an, it's a conversation with the reader whereas in the movie it just kind of happens yeah and right and also the relationship he has with the the young woman he's seeing andy is kind of flopped because he i mean there's so little screen time that we can't quite put figure it out but He's saying, why didn't you call me? Or, or he's saying, I tried to call you this many times. And maybe he's just lying. But in the book, she tries to call him a bunch of times and he just doesn't answer. Right. So there is this kind of, there's a swap in terms of who's caring about this side relationship. Yeah. And right. that, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't work as well to flesh him out as a character. Um... Which one, yeah. No, I was just going to say one interesting thing that I noted in the book is that, or in the film versus the book, is that when Andy comes to him when he's at his sister's, she tries to have sex with him and he stops her and sends her on her way and then his sister, then Go comes out and is like, what the fuck did you do? But in the movie, they make the change that he actually goes ahead and does have sex with her. And she spends the night. And well, I wondered if more group time. Right. Clearly. Yeah. And I wondered if that was a way though to make him a little bit more unlikable. Right. Because we were seeing these too. other things. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, okay, well, we will have him go ahead and be a total That's dick true. and have him. Because like in the book, because he's narrating, you know, his half, you're getting more of like his justification for how much he actually does like this woman. Right. Young woman. And in the movie you really just get like Oh, here's this pretty young thing. There's her breasts. Okay, it's just like physical. He's kind of a, you know, a douche. Yeah. yeah. Which for streamlining the story, I get it. That's a yeah. perfectly fine change, I guess. Um, can we talk about one sort of directing? I assume it was a directing choice, uh, which some might not take issue with, but I certainly do. Uh, which was the kind of Gilmore Girls style, rapid line readings. Was I the only one who... I guess. I didn't notice any such thing. I felt like people were... Every character was just like zipping through every line really fast. And it didn't make sense for Nick's character in particular to ever be that quick-witted. Well, he's a journalist. Yeah, but... I don't know. I guess I... I mean... Fincher is kind of notorious, and I don't know how accurate this is. Obviously, we haven't been on a Fincher set, but he's sort of notorious for like. Don't give away. Not yet. I'm sure that everyone is sort of notorious for like taking like 90 takes for like a simple line delivery, so that by like the 90th take, it's. I mean, I'm probably exaggerating, but in some cases, apparently not. So that by like the you know hundredth take of whatever the line is or the scene is it's so secondhand or so natural to the actor that it almost feels impersonal yeah i think he i think he favors naturalism in 
acting. His version of naturalism. I it's well very much his version because I favor naturalism in acting, but this to me... It's like a was, cold naturalism. It, it wasn't realistic. Right. It was maybe natural, but it wasn't realistic. Well, I also know part of it might be the script. Like I was just reading an interview with, with Gillian Flynn, and she was saying that her inspiration for the scenes, even in the book, between particularly Nick and Go, mm -hmm. she was very inspired by like 1940s noir, like His Girl Friday, awesome. rap and banter. Yeah, well, I, I definitely see and that I, in, and this, I think that, in the film for sure. Right, and I think that part of the problem legitimately is that Ben Affleck can't handle rapid banter. Like, Carrie Coon can. When Carrie, when he comes she's in great. and he's not wanting to talk in that first scene or second scene, and she's like, I'll give you one of the classic Margot stories. Like, she's so great. Which, so, to get to this point of the story, his twin sister is played by Carrie Coon, who is currently, or was currently on The Leftovers, if mm -hmm. anyone watched it. Um, stage actress was nominated for a Tony a couple years ago for... I was afraid of Virginia Woolf, Virginia which we saw, and she was great. She's married to Tracy Letts, won a Tony for that, who you would know because he wrote August Osage County. He's on Homeland. Yeah. I mean... I'm in love with her. I'd right love now. to say when we saw I Was Afraid of Virginia Woolf, I was like, oh my God, I love Carrie Coon, but I actually think I didn't love her. Well, that but role was now, also not the highlight of that show. Right, right it's kind of like the side, right. side show. But um, well, Tracy Letts now is such I'm a in love with her. I think on The Leftovers, she's incredible. And I thought she was one of the best Absolutely. parts of this movie. A hundred percent. She was so great. And um, and I mentioned a little bit to the, the female detective who's in charge. And it's um, played by Kim Dickens who I know and love, one for Deadwood. She was on Deadwood. Um, she also plays Matt Saracen's mom on Friday Night Lights. It's like a five-episode arc, but she's oh. great. She's on a couple episodes of Lost and is really great. Like oh, she's, she was? Yeah, she played um, in the first season, actually, Sawyer, his Mark. Who, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's just the really... The long con. Yeah, her. the long con, oh. exactly. And she's just... Like, she's someone who has always stuck out to me as just an interesting screen presence, and she brings a lot more to sometimes small parts. Mm -hmm. And I thought she was so great. Great. And funny. Yeah, everyone she interacted with, just on an actor level, yeah. was great. And also just charismatic. Like, when she was Very. on screen, I was so interested in watching her and the story she was telling. The showdown at the end between her... And Rosamund Pike, when Rosamund Pike is giving Ooh. such a genius performance. She is. I thought that was a little... I like how it... Was it was more on the nose. In, yeah, it was a little too, like... Yeah. The other detectives, at least one or two of the, like, 12 that are in the room would be like, uh, But I actually... This is crazy. I liked that on a... On a fem Sorry, I'll let you talk, Nathan. Go ahead. Oh, no. I mean, I like that on a feminist point as well. Um, but... I think this this kind of gets to my point about the movie overall is that it had too many styles going on maybe like it it's mm -hmm. kind of like a mixed metaphor that doesn't actually work like some mixed metaphors work but <laughs> this one it didn't quite coalesce into any it's kind of like oil and water or I don't know you have one stream going that's just kind of non-stop detective mystery you have another stream of um really sometimes over the top comedy which i appreciated i totally appreciated but did it actually work with that other stream of yeah. stylized yeah. art i don't know and well i do know it didn't <laughs> um that's, I think that's I think maybe that's, why it works so well as a novel. Like, Gillian uh, Flynn, like... I, I can, agree. I feel like I can tell she worked for Entertainment Weekly for a while. Like, she has all these, all this knowledge of other pop culture and is bringing all these right. other influences into the writing. I, you know, I, I just... I don't think David Fincher was the right person to I was just going to say that. Like, I, I appreciate... The, I mean, he always brings a style... I love his movies for the most part. ...to him. And I, I still would give this movie a thumbs up, definitely, on the whole. And I yeah. think he's a great... Really, so really solid too. director. 
that I feel like the story is the real star of this. Right. But it's also like I wouldn't want like a director for hire to just no, do this because then it would feel point. almost more discordant, like all the different strands that are going on. Yeah. So I appreciate that he was able to, you know, not necessarily rein it in, but, you know, be yeah. like, this is my style. This is my take on this story. Here it is. And I, I mean, his kind of notorious coldness worked for this story. And it was still like the humor came through. Right. Definitely. And that's not always something that he yeah. is able to pull off. Well, I also think something interesting that I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily disagree that he was the wrong person to do this, to, to do this movie. Um, but one thing that's really interesting to me uh, while I'm talking about feminist theory, <laughs> which, so anyways, the thing I really liked about that scene is in the book, it's just really the, the two end. detectives. Yeah. yeah. It's just the two detectives questioning her and she sort of goes through detail and you see how she's too specific. Oh yeah. That makes like detective without work. any prompt. But it like wouldn't really work on the film because we already know what she's done. So then to hear her retell all these That's deep, true. Yeah. Um, and I thought there was something really great in seeing that, you know, people, especially as we've learned over the summer with current events, police forces generally have preconceived ideas about what people are and who's capable of what. Mm. And the idea that all these men would see this very pretty blonde woman and be like, yes, absolutely, she's a victim. And yeah. she's rich and intelligent and well-spoken and she's putting on this performance that you're like, of course these men would eat it up. And Here I loved go. the idea of the woman in there being like, this is bullshit. Hold up. Yeah. Yeah. So I really liked, I liked that part of it. I also like the idea... And her, like, look near the end, like, she's, yeah. she smiles at Ben Affleck, which is super creepy, and then she gives a right. look to Kim Dickens, like, yep. Uh, yeah, I love that she sort of tinned her hand and being like, I know you know, but there's nothing you can do about yeah, it. Yeah, like, I already call out your police department for being incompetent in this case. Yeah. You're done. Like, it's just, not, it works in a really great cinematic way, in a way that it wouldn't work in a book, and then the version in the book wouldn't work as, wouldn't, right, wouldn't be right, as right. dynamic. Again, it's just smart adaptation. Right. Yeah. On film. Um, but the other thing is, it's really interesting to watch David Fincher working with a screenplay by a female with a script and a that has so many dynamic female characters because if there's one critique i would have of fincher is that he often does not have dynamic or interesting female characters yeah which is why i was kind of disappointed or upset that it seems so t at least to me it tipped seems so to tipped to ben affleck like it you expect a twist to be coming so you know at the beginning you, you like don't even realistically suspect him of doing it right it did except for for me the heart of the film really ended up being carrie coon yeah she was the takeaway and also like it was so much fun watching rosalind pike but mm -hmm. yeah it didn't really matter i mean again i've read the book i just read the book right before seeing it right um right like she but to me it would it didn't matter so much that she was more the villain it was that she was fun to watch and she was Right. Great, oh yeah. Giving she a great had the she had the Brad Pitt Tyler Durden part. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple questions about um, just some choices in the adaptation. Mm -hmm. So something really small and nitpicky, but there's this whole thing. There's this <laughs> <laughs> to do. There's a whole to do, <laughs> a whole hullabaloo, so to speak, about. Um, Amy choosing a car as her kind of getaway, runaway car. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be this, as generic as possible, I think it's like a Ford Fiesta or something. <laughs> I have no idea. I hope so. Whatever. I have no idea what that is, but it's a, it's a car. Um, but then in the movie, the back windshield is like painted with a mural. Yeah, that was a little odd. It's like... Oh, I didn't notice actually. It's like... Unless like there Ford would be no Fiestas way to see out in the nineteen eighties or whatever year that model year that one was, <laughs> was all came with a painted mural. I think I mean, come on. Her entire the entire character is built on spending a year and um planning this right. elaborate right. 
And that um, would stick out. Right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. She was driving. She's not going to just choose a car that has a hand-painted mural on it. The second thing that's kind of related is when I actually loved the sort of mini scene um, when she was already at Desi's lake house. Yeah. And she kind of um, spilled wine on her. So she he's leaving oh, yeah. for the he's leaving in the morning to go to work or something. And it's, uh, you don't quite get what she's doing at first, or you're not supposed to, but she kind of bites him on the lip as he's leaving. um, Dishevels him. Dishevels him, rips his shirt a little bit. um, And then she uh, pours some red Red wine wine on her dress, kind of in her crotch region, to make it look like blood a little bit. And then um, kind of like throws herself and scrambles towards the window and where she, she knows there's a camera. where she knows there's a camera because there are cameras all over the house and she's always looking at where the cameras are but there are cameras all over the house like literally all over the house right so unless maybe there aren't maybe i'm just missing the fact that there are no cameras inside there might not be. They might have just been all exterior. Yeah, I think when they show it initially, it's all exterior cameras. But Okay, never mind. But, yeah. But I was thinking, I think they are all exterior shots. But does she know how to edit it? Like, edit the security footage? Because when she comes into the house initially with Desi, they walk in together and she has her hair mousy brown. Like, she's not... Oh, yeah. She hasn't yeah, been so kidnapped true. at all. So I did think like they should have showed us her being able to go back and edit out that footage before them staging the footage. Yeah, that was a weird thing. See, that I'm wasn't smarter in the than book. Amy after all. <laughs> <laughs> you However, <No>. that <laughs> whole that whole sequence of her tying the the like strap to her leg to look like she had escaped her bonds. She's in a negligee. She has the wine there to look like blood. It was so well done. Yeah. It was so well staged, yeah, and then. It. The scene, so in the book, it's a little different. She seduces Desi, they have sex, and then she drugs him with a martini, and then when he's asleep, she slits his throat while he's sleeping, essentially. Yeah. And changing it for the film. (laughs) And also, you hear that, you hear it with her talking about it. It's either in her interior head, or she's talking about it with, um... It must be in her head, but it's after the fact. Because you see her say, like, that she's planning something, and then you go to her, and then you go to Nick's perspective and her showing up on the doorstep. And so it's after we already know that she's somehow gotten rid of Desi or escaped Desi that we go back and find out how she did it. In the book? In the book. Well, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's split up somehow. Yeah. Between... But so actually seeing it happen in real time... And the way it shot, oh my god, it was like strangely beautiful. <laughs> it was it's art, yeah. Hor- but like that scene was art. The like blood spatter and all over her, all over her, all over him. Her like that was the moment that I was like, yes, Amy. I mean, you're a crazy Same. psychopath. Yeah. But I love you, and I love what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Same puppy dog NPH just get his. Throat. Yeah. yeah, and it slash happens so climax. Literally, oh he says, "I'm coming." Slash. It's so, and it's funny. Like it's funny in that way too. Darkly, darkly funny. Darkly funny. That scene was so spectacular. I thought. <laughs> I <don't know>. um, <laughs> but I did have that question about the security cameras as well. Didn't they also have them security cameras her coming in? Right. That was a little... Yeah, although at the same time, I guess you could argue, and maybe this is what Jillian Flynn was thinking, that she knew that those, you know, male <laughs> police detectives were not going to... Which is kind of how it is ...really the, check into the it book anyway. Too. Right. It's like there are definitely holes in her story. Kim Dickens, or the Detective Boney character, yeah. knows and is clearly on Nick's side. Right. But... Because it was such a national news story, their police department is so embarrassed, and you know, right? They're in such a everyone has such a low estimation of how the this absinthe is just (laughs) 
You gone, girl. I am gone, girl. I am near Rosamund Pike levels of just amazing Amy. So, as far as the score goes, um, it was Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Ross. Yeah. I was going to say Atticus Finch. I do too. Um, (laughs) Um... which who I I normally love I love that they keep working with David Fincher but I thought it was fairly forgettable I um personally I don't I know about forgettable but I didn't think it fit Agreed. for this I think he needed someone like it was just in parts kind of the wrong tone I think I and it could be just at you know one of the near the beginning I was turned off by it because the sound mix was so odd in the very first Amy Diary entry. It was really hard to hear the dialogue. It was hard to hear, which I kind of, it was okay because, you know, you learn later that it's not even necessarily partially accurate. Although actually the ones at the beginning would be the most accurate. Right, but I mean, even to set it up, like maybe that was the the point, like it was kind of fuzzy. At any time there was the Amy Diary entries, kind of like the edges of the frame, like far, far edges were kind of blurred, but like the sound mix was weird and the score was way too loud yeah and then in some parts the score was way too much yeah and it just i mean and it could be because we own the social network soundtrack and we've listened to it a lot and it's it's amazing it felt very similar and i feel like this tonally should have been a different but that's that's also why i feel like David Fincher just shouldn't have done this. Maybe, I mean, yeah. it was kind of like a little bit of Benjamin Button tried to insert itself into a normal <laughs> David Fincher movie. Keep that and Benjamin Button out. Keep that button out. We don't want Let's, any button here. You know, screw the Find Amy posters. I'll go protest and say, keep that button out. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't even really know what that means, but I love it. No. I at this I agree with the sound mix at the beginning. I was a little bit annoyed by it, and then it was fine. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like I feel like both of you. Then I felt like it was forgettable for a big portion of it, where I wasn't really aware of it. And then there was some like weird sort of discordant parts that were great, but then the end once they're once Amy comes back and it's the two of them in the house it was this weird like almost like da, 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 this is so happy like it was almost like romantic music which maybe that was the point is that it was supposed to be yeah. romantic music but, but what you're actually musicians. but what you're actually seeing is the opposite of romantic or it's romantic in a super fucked up these people are crazy way mm-hmm. but it didn't fit Visually, it felt like, why am I hearing this music when what should be happening is, like, really intense and messed up? Like, the shower scene. The music underneath it, I was really confused by the score because what you're finding out is really messed up. They were trying to distract from the eventual DVD Easter egg of, hey, you see Ben Affleck's penis. Sure do. Which I would also like to say, you do see whatever her name is, the... Andy, the girl who plays Andy. Mm-hmm. Who was also perfectly cast because she looks 14, and it's yeah. super disturbing. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I'm about 14, but yes, she looks young. You, see, okay, you see her breasts, mm-hmm. which, you know, you see those in the Robin Thicke Blurred Line video anyways. But you see her breasts, but then I appreciate it actually with Rosamund Pike that even when she's in the shower, you only really get like side boob and she's covered with blood. Yeah, you didn't see much. And you almost, in a way, see more of Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. And I kind of appreciated that. Only because it's so rare. And also, it was a scene where the nudity was actually equal. Like, he was completely naked yeah. and she was completely naked. And it's where, for the first time really ever in their marriage or relationship, they're totally exposed and seeing each other for what they are. Which yeah. is the genius of her making him get in the shower for fear of a wire. Yeah. Both in the book, and then it works even more in a visual medium. That you're like, totally. oh right, now there's nothing they're hiding. Yep, they're seeing each other for what they really are. And then and she's I, just kind of like, "This is normal life for me." Like, hand me the shampoo, and he's kind of like, "Wow, okay." Right, <laughs> and I feel like in a lesser movie, you would have seen a lot of the woman's body and yeah. like a topless male actor. That's correct. So I, I, I have to tip my my equality hat for that. <laughs> 
it's fine. I do love your equality hat. It's very stylish. <laughs> Goes with your feminist it's like gloves. Like Kangol, like uh, Samuel L. Jackson hat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, if you had it to pick one favorite performance from the film, who is it? That's so hard, but I would I have to say Rosalind Pike only because it's so dynamic. Mm-hmm. But it would be closely followed by Carrie Coon, Coon and yeah. Kim Dickens. Kim Dickens, yeah. I think I'd have a hard time between Carrie Coon and Kim Dickens, and I think it's Carrie Coon. And I love that brother-sister relationship, which definitely works well in the in the book, but I thought it worked really well in film, I always too. thought it worked even better on film. Yeah. I was really attached to I loved film. them. Yeah. Yeah. She was great. I'm excited for her. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to pick Carrie Coon, I think. Partly because I already liked her. Yeah, I mean, I want her to succeed. Good for you, Patrick Fugit. Yeah, Almost famous, growing up, still, still doing well. Wait, oh, yeah, that okay. William Miller. I'd also like famous. to give a shout out Here's to um, yeah. to Missy Pyle as the again good casting. Right. Sailor Ward. Wait, Good who cast. was Missy Pyle? Missy oh, Pyle yeah. Was the, like, Nancy Grace yeah, Ellen yeah, Abbott or whatever. Ellen Abbott. Like, um, trashy talk and show. And surprisingly, Tyler Perry was perfect in his role. Oh, yeah. He was great and charismatic, and I would not say that. I mean, talk about... I mean, I understand that this movie has a female villain <laughs> or villainous character, mm-hmm. but Tyler Perry writes some pretty messed up things about women in his movies. I so, don't know if I've seen one. For that alone, I, I just I just <laughs> like him. Well, you know that the spoiler alert, as our friend Nora told us, the end of Confessions of a Marriage Counselor, yeah. whatever that, is that his wife has an affair and gets AIDS. Twist ending. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Evil woman. <laughs> Green drop drink. Holy no. um, But he was great in his part. I also thought the people they cast as the parents, Amy's parents, oh, great. were wonderful. She was so, I mean, there was a really truncated from their role in the movie, but he was so sort of... What they had to get across in their short, limited <clears throat> screen right. time, they did well. And just her walking along the beach of the Mississippi River in the, that outfit, I guess that really goes more to the costume designer. Mm-hmm. But it was so waspy, like East Coast wasp. It was really perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought the casting all around was great. I did think the the parents bothered me because they were sort of over, particularly the mother's character, not the actress herself, but just um, the way she was directed or, or the line she was given in the screenplay. It was very over the top compared to, I mean, the comedic mm. aspect of it. That was one of the parts that just didn't, I don't know, it just, there's something disingenuous about the, the whole package, and obviously you could make a point that that's the point. Intentional. Yeah. But oh, I wish I could... And that might have been Fincher. Pinpoint exactly well, what needed to be changed. but And I see the point that I think maybe part of the problem is that Fincher, in a way, was directing a stylish thriller, which really the movie is not. Ends up not really being. Right. Yeah. Nor is the book. The, right. The book is more a play on a thriller. Yeah. But maybe that's like... And what I'm they wanted sure is like the audience to expect something going into the right. film, but, but it didn't necessarily subvert that. Right. But then it just, yeah. I guess it just, the other thing with, with the, um, different sort of styles, not coalescing or being mm-hmm. coherent. Um, it ends up just feeling like a trick ending, I guess. Like I love that the ending is unexpected. I love that it's not traditional, but if it ends up feeling like it's coming from nowhere completely, then it just feels like it was done for the sake of 
coming out of nowhere. Mm. Which, again, yeah. Elizabeth, you made a good point that that could be the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, but I'm it also, didn't work for me. I'm also curious. I'm, <clears throat> I'm curious what, Matt, you said to see is how it would have worked for me had I not read the book. Yeah. Because especially now that I've... J- you know, literally finished it like two days ago. Yeah. Um, just reread it, and I know that people, even when the book came out, a lot of people disliked the ending and didn't yeah. think the ending worked for them, or they wanted a more satisfying resolution. For me, the ending is perfect. Yeah. It subverts what you expect, and it also makes sense. Like I understand from the psychology of both of them how they're absolutely like no one else can fulfill the sick, twisted need that they have. Yeah. Um, so I'm probably bringing some of that psychology of the book into the ending of the film. So it works for me in a way that I don't know that it would work if I didn't have all the backstory. The same way, like a lot of the Harry Potter movies, which I like, but I think if I hadn't read those books, would this make any damn sense? (laughs) And it probably wouldn't make any damn sense if you didn't have like an additional knowledge of everything else that was contained within the book. So... Correct. I do also see your point, Nathan, which is I'm not sure that the ending would work for me if it was just a cinematic viewing. Yep. Especially on his part. On her part, I feel like I understand why she wants to be back with him. Well, yeah. It's preferable mm-hmm. to killing herself Virginia Woolf style. Right. Yeah. Or being continually on the run. You also see or how being she... with Desi. <laughs> or, well, and also I feel like even in the movie, you understand how she needs to be in the control of the situation, mm-hmm. and she sees yeah. it as that she now has the leverage to completely have the life she wants by having enough control. You definitely yeah, understand true. her character better, even if you, it's harder to relate to her character. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I got you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I liked just that there was a little more like press interaction in the mm-hmm. film later on, like when she returns with Rosamund Pike or with Amy's character. And it just reminded me of like scream four and Emma Roberts <laughs> and the end of that. And she's like, I don't need friends. I need fans. Mm-hmm. Like just, she like, as the, the car is driving up after they've been to the hospital or whatever. And everyone's like, Amy, we love you. And she's just so happy. Yeah. And not like total beaming smile, but like no. you can see it on her face that she's yes, like, yes, this is what I crave. This is what I need. I need to be right adored and right. the center. Yeah. Which in the book you understand even more because you get more background on, and I guess I was a little bit sad that this got a little bit short shrift in the film because her parents, <laughs> um, her parents are both like child psychologists or at least psychologists Mm -hmm. but they write this book series where they totally like that plays a big part into what has messed her up as an adult yeah is that anything she doesn't do that her parents see as a shortcoming her book counterpart does in spades and is super successful and super amazing so she you understand that she has this weird complex about it um and and so that's the genius thing at the end is feeling like oh finally she's actually amazing Amy she's more amazing than the book counterpart because you know what I mean yeah 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 (laughs) which I like all right well we should probably talk about because it's David Fincher and it's the beginning of Oscar season Oscar chances for the film yeah I mean prior to going into the film I definitely had it maybe like sixth on my best picture predictions and Oof, I don't, I just, I mean, that was also before I had read the book, too. I, I just don't know if the collective academy, like 6,000 voting members or whatever, will will really respond to it. But I feel like it does have the, the critical cachet, mm-hmm. and potentially, I, I feel like it will be a, you know, at least successful, box, have a successful box office run. Totally. That it, especially in a year of, you know, up to 10 Best Picture nominees that we're dealing with. It could definitely still get in. I don't think it's strong enough that Fincher will get in. No. I think Gillian Flynn will get in for Adapted Screenplay. I don't think she's necessarily a contender for the win, though I haven't gone back and looked at that category. If you hear any crinkling, it's it's Nathan opening up a Kit Kat. Um, we're having but I'm some, allowed because... You're allowed because Rosamund Pike, she has some Kit, Kit Kats, Kats in the film, movie. so... Along with our absence, we have 
we have some Kit Kats. Which, by the way, can we just quickly talk about, so like I said, I think maybe my favorite sequence in the film is when it's revealed that Amy is alive, mm. and we go back to this montage of how she set up her disappearance, the visual of her draining blood out of her arm Sitting while reading a book. on the floor of the kitchen, reading Super a book. Super Paul reading a book. I don't know, that, that particular... He's getting lightheaded, but... It worked perfectly. That was a moment that, like, the tone of it visual, was just great. For sure. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so the original screenplay category is super stacked, as it has been the past few years, which is kind of awesome that original screenplay is, is where it's at. Um, but I, th- I think just with the weaker adapted screenplay category, there's more wiggle room, and this is a prestige pick just based on the talent involved. I think she could get in, and that's great. I also think that the screen, I mean, I don't think that the screenplay was an issue. I think it was maybe the direction and finding the tone balance within the screenplay. But I think mm-hmm. the actual I think it was a great adaptation, adaptation. but there yeah. are some issues potentially with the, the screenplay. Obviously, the strongest acting nomination possibility would be Rosamund Pike. And that's a little bit, again, because the best actress category isn't as deep as some of the other categories, but I don't know. She would you be think on so? List. Well, you know, Matt, you and I had an interesting conversation the other day, which is you said voters won't like her though because she's not a very likable character. Right. And for that reason alone, I want her to get in. Because again, it comes down to a double standard. You have Denzel Washington win for training day. You have Daniel Day Lewis win for There Will Be Blood. Yeah. And I think it's a genius performance and it's we're looking at a, a field where so many of the female parts are literally supportive wife. Yeah. Like these are the roles that are being written for women are supportive wife, supportive wife. And the fact that this is even a wife role, but then totally flips on its head. In fact, at the beginning she seems like she's supportive wife. Diary yeah. Amy yeah. sets herself up and the fact that it, subverts that I think she Rosamund Pike really gets first off she's playing multiple characters which takes mm-hmm. a lot of skill and she also really understands playing the duplicity and playing that to the camera which isn't easy she finds moments of humor in it that feel more natural like she and Carrie Coon and Kim Dickens I guess are the best at playing with that dark humor underneath yeah in a way that like Ben Affleck can't really do it or as well, yeah. As well. I don't know. I hope she gets in. I feel like if the film does, like if it's definitely by the end of this award right. season, it looks like, yep, that's definitely going to get in. I feel like she'll not necessarily coast on its coattails, but she'll also get in. But I don't know. I don't know. I would just like to see yeah. legitimate I mean, dark get in, characters get in. Should get in is not the same as will right. get in. But I... If I were voting, I would, well, having seen approximately two Oscar-y films thus far. What's the other? I'm just throwing out a number. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Lucy. far, I would... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I haven't seen Lucy. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> um, I, I would say she deserves serious consideration. And I'm sure by the end, she would be on my list. Yeah. It's also a role that could have easily slid into camp, and it never does. Mm-hmm. She also has a very particular look looking through the... Like, Reese Witherspoon is a producer on this, and when she first bought the rights, a lot of people assumed she would have played this. I think she would have been good, too. Not I necessarily don't. this iteration, but... I don't, and here's why I think Rosamund... I mean, the accent actually even worked for me, her American accent, because her voice, especially her pitch, she pitches lower. Mm-hmm. She has such a rich-sounding voice. That she sounds rich. She sounds That's East true. Coast. That's true. She sounds aloof. Even when she's trying to then put on her New Orleans accent and it's so terrible, <laughs> it's because you understand that this is something she could never be and she's playing a character. Yeah. It's good casting. Again, I I don't know who the casting director was on this. And I don't know how much influence Fincher had in the casting, but right. there was an Oscar for casting. I will say I don't think right it should, there. as opposed to social network, it should not get a nomination for score. No. No. Yeah. I don't know about editing either. I mean, it, 
obviously yeah. it was an undertaking. And I mean, just the last two Fincher films, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, kind of shockingly, and then Social Network won. Right. Best at ed- the best editing Oscar. I don't know. It's a little tricky with the framing device, but it, I wasn't like blown away by it. Mm-hmm. Um. What else? Oh, I did. I actually really appreciated the art direction in it. Mm-hmm. For um, sure, me too. Especially without like hitting you over the head with it, the sort of differences between Desi's house and Lake House, mm-hmm. and then even their own like suburban McMansion versus right. his sister's house versus and the his dad's father's house, house yep. um, versus yeah, the, the bar. Set decoration like, in it was, was strong. Yeah, and like I, you know, I, I. My family now lives in Missouri. I went to school in St. Louis. Um, I've been to Cape Girardeau, which is where they actually filmed it. Mm. And, like, it just was very visually truthful of what this Missouri town would be. So I appreciate that. Like, I appreciate that in the book, the setting is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate Mm -hmm. that they didn't then, like, shoot it in Toronto or, like, outside of L.A. Yeah. Which is never going to feel like... It, it did feel very authentic to sort of a post-recession Midwestern town. Yeah. Without, mm-hmm. like, hitting you over the head of, like, this is a McMansion. This is right. a blah, blah, Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. All right. Well... Well, would you recommend it? Definitely. Nathan? Yes, I would recommend it. I think I'm picking on it because I just read the book and high before seeing it. High expectations. Um, I don't think it's the kind of movie that would end up on my top ten list at the end of the year, that kind of thing, but I certainly would recommend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it was easy for us to pick apart because it was very good, and That's so correct. it's easier to talk about the flaws when everything else around it is is well done. And I think we all, to varying degrees, maybe really liked the source material a lot, too. For sure. Mm-hmm. But I would recommend it, and I also would recommend it strictly on the fact that in a time where it doesn't happen, it's a screenplay written by a woman, and it has several dynamic, strong female performances, which is a rare thing, and it's a particular rare thing in award season, mm-hmm. I think. And genre. And genre like, films. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> Non-mystic pizza three. Yes. So get that for that reason alone, I'm really excited to at least see if nothing else that do financially well. Yeah. Um, because again, more people need to see that. The world is dynamic, round, people. That women can be dynamic both on screen and behind the scenes. So. Faux show. Faux show. Well, join us next time as we discuss <laughs> Gone Girl 2, <laughs> the goner. The gonest girl. Goner girl. Gonest girl. Um, Still gone. No. We have no Still. idea what we'll be talking about next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> the end. We're gone. Spoiler alert, Nathan staged this whole thing. He's <laughs> crazy. Absent. Yeah, thanks for listening. See you Bye. next time.